Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt.
It opened up with Machete. I mean, imagine if they would have done that. 90 minutes of just trailers with the best yeah. parts of the movie. That would have been great. Yeah. As good as the first film turned out, that trailer for Machete was so fucking good. Yeah, all of all of those trailers are really good. Yeah, the yeah, the mean, fake Machete had one of the best taglines ever for the trailer. Yeah. This time they fucked with the wrong Mexicans. <laughs> <laughs> you just like that because you're Mexican. Now you get now you get to say that. No, the funniest <laughs> line is uh, them uh, quoting uh uh a spaghetti western title. Father, forgive me. God forgives. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It was just so. But yeah, I don't really get what it is. The trailers were always like you. That's where Tarantino didn't get. You had a luxury. And with that, is that you only had to film the good shit. You could use all the boring linker shit. <laughs> right? As well, uh, you know, in the missing reel. Talking about uh, film trailers, wasn't it Joe Dante that said when he worked for Roger Corman, uh, cutting trailers for Corman movies, he said he probably used the same exploding helicopter shot in, you know, hundreds of trailers, even if the movie didn't have an exploding helicopter in it. It was just a clip yeah. that they had that someone had filmed for a movie, and Joe Dante would just stick it in any trailer that he was doing for a Corman movie. Yeah, but Roger, this movie doesn't have an exploding helicopter in it. I don't give a shit. Put that damn helicopter in. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah. That's what most trailers nowadays have really forgotten. The art of putting the ass in the seat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean I have I I have noticed because you know, nowadays uh you know like we don't have live TV at our house. We have a bunch of different streaming services, but some of the streaming services do still have commercials. You know, like if you watch Hulu or uh, we do have a live TV channel on our TV, but it it's, uh, you know, whatever. It's just designated channels that show like one program all day long you can watch kitchen nightmares or rip tracks or something and those stations will still have commercials so occasionally i'll see a a preview for a movie or a tv show but otherwise if you're actually interested in a film and you spend as much time on the internet as you and i do uh researching stuff you'll come across a new movie or a new TV show by someone you like, you have to actually go to YouTube or, you know, go to a, their website and watch the the trailer. You can see the difference between 
you know, some directors, they, they squeeze little things into the trailers that you're not actually going to see on the TV show or the movie. Uh, yeah. They kind of rope you in. And you're right. That is a lost art. You know, most of the time now when you go see, you go to the movies, well, I don't even remember the last time I actually got to go to the movies. It was probably about a year ago now, but, uh, but you know, a lot of times when you go to the movies and you see the trailers for the movies, yeah, they're not, they're not giving you anything to, that makes you want to come see the movie. You're all, if you want to go see the new Star Wars movie or you want to go see the new Avengers movie, you're already going to go see it anyway. But you're right. Like the old trailers, they used to lure you in. They'd either give you nothing, just a little just a little tease to get you in there, get your ass in the seat, or they would show you scenes that didn't end up being in the movie, which might ultimately be irritating once you saw the movie, but it was enough. Well, no, they you know, wouldn't they'd do show... that far. What they would do is they would edit two scenes together to make it look like something would happen. Like, uh, no. the bad guy pulls out a gun, and then they would show Charles Bronson pull out a gun. And they're two different <laughs> scenes entirely. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. yeah. Now, getting back, Kara uh, was good. But you could tell, but Rose McGowan, no, she was bad in this movie. She didn't get it. Yeah. Well, she got a machine gun like she got it. <laughs> right? I don't know. But, that, that, I mean, this is... it just had everything. If I'm going to say the best part of Planet Terror, it probably would be Freddy Rodriguez. I would have loved to have seen him make it to the end or make it, make the film about El Rey. And Josh Brolin was fucking awesome in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't know. This is, one... <laughs> this is one of those, like, weird things for me because, again, as I say almost every show, Quentin Tarantino yeah. is my favorite. He's my favorite. I don't really care for much that Robert Rodriguez has done in his career. Uh, I think we've talked about this on the show before. And I I do like Planet Terror. Um, I don't think it's a bad film. Uh, there are most of my problems with it are are from uh are more from like a the aesthetic point of view. I don't I think some of the special effects are kind of cheesy. And that is one thing even though I think you know when we're talking about Grindhouse, even though I do think Death Proof is Tarantino's worst film, it does have some amazing special effects, you know, the the live action car chase is pretty fucking amazing. Yeah, we'll like, there's no, that. No denying that. My favorite but. line in Planet Terror is the guy at the club at the first of the movie. Don't do that shit. And don't do that shit. If you're going to do that shit, <laughs> do it on stage. <laughs> <laughs> it's only in over two minutes ago is a happy dance. It's go, go, not cry, cry. <laughs> right? 
Yeah. Yeah. And of course, they yeah. I mean, just think of all of the good actors they have in there. Tom Savini is good in it. Michael Bean is good. The original El Mariachi is good. You have to be a fan of uh, Robert Rodriguez to mark out when you see Tom Savini and El Mariachi walk out together <laughs> with a fucking shotgun and go, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it, terror shares for me it, it shares the most with uh, From Dusk Till Dawn uh, with other Robert Rodriguez films and of course From, Des- From Dusk well, Till Dawn and was written one of your favorite films yeah Umberto Lindsay's City of the Living Dead or right. Nightmare City Yep. Right. Yeah, it has a lot in common with. Yeah, it does have a lot in common with. Yeah. I have my copy is Nightmare City. Yeah, I have Nightmare City. Yeah. That's one of the ones that I stole from the uh, video store when I worked there. I've got the big box yeah. version. <laughs> big box. But yeah, that baby. one. Yeah, that one. You would see Planet Terror at a grindhouse because it had hits, gore, you know, zombies, killing, that's everything they needed. And then it ended, and that's when the problems with it really began. Seeing half of the audience, there were only like 12 people when I went seeing it. Leave. And walking right. out going, oh, well, Kurt Russell was in this. And it took everything <laughs> in my power not to jump up and say, you fucking idiots, there's another fucking movie coming on. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And then we got but. Werewolf Woman, the SS. God, that was good. You need to get the Blu-ray just to see the extended trailer of the werewolf women of the SS. I I have the two individual films, uh, Planet Terror and Death Proof. I have the two individual DVDs, uh, but yeah, I I went, I did something that I I swear I rarely do. I I I, I rarely do this. But I, I went on the internet and I illegally downloaded the fake trailers. Now, don't, don't, don't I, I, I rarely do this if anyone from the FBI or the, uh, you know. No, there's or, a, a, that it, was really the most downloaded part of them is that. But that, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Werewolf Woman to FS is insane because it was the best part of the extended cut of the trailer is is, you know the scene where Sherry Moon Zombie is singing Sanudo Kier hugging each other and crying? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, they're like... <laughs> but yeah, that one would have made a good movie. That's the problem. Yeah. But then again, like we said, 
they filmed the sizzle reels, so who knows how those long versions of the movie would have turned out. Right? Yeah. Just like Thanksgiving. Um, Everyone's like, we want Eli Roth to make Thanksgiving. We want to make Eli Roth to make Thanksgiving. And I'm like, yeah, but none of uh, Eli Roth's other films have really been that good. No, no. I I would have rather seen a full version of Werewolf Woman of the SF than, than I would have Thanksgiving. Although... I do enjoy the trailer for Thanksgiving. That that one has the that has my favorite line of all those fake trailers. Uh, uh, when the two cops are out in the street and oh god, uh, yeah, and he's like, oh, blood. looks like looks like blood. <laughs> he tastes it. Damn it! <laughs> he tastes. Damn it! God damn it! <laughs> Yeah, but you know what my favorite part of Werewolf Woman of the SS it was? Uh, Nicholas Nicholas Cage's Fu Manchu. (laughs) Yeah. And the fact that he didn't even do an accent, it's just him and the mustache going, Yeah. Yeah, that, that is great. Yeah. Oh, man. And if you think the third trailer was going to be bad, don't. Don't. <laughs> if you're thinking of skipping the third trailer before you watch the next movie, don't. <laughs> yeah. And that was hilarious because that movie looked like I about, about eight or ten movies mixed into one. Right. Well, I yeah. think it was. I think it was definitely. Uh, it seems. To, it feels to me like it's an homage to the whole Hammer House of Horror uh, catalog. You know, that's what it feels like to me. You know. Yeah. And I know Edgar Wright. Obviously, uh, you know he's British, and yeah. so this is the I. Last thing he made before he went to shit. What? You don't like his newer you don't like his newer stuff? You don't like Baby Driver? No. No, no you don't like Baby Driver? I think that's a great no. movie. No, it's a shitty car chase Literally. <laughs> You're missing out. You're missing out. Come on. Baby Driver's a good movie. You don't like Scott Pilgrim versus the world? I'm not a douchebag. <laughs> that those are two separate questions. Are you a douchebag? You have okay. to be. You have to be a douchebag who thinks that a film full of nothing but video game ref- references is cool, like Spot Scott Pilgrim versus Good. No, you have to be a douchebag to like Ready Player One, which is a movie that's full of nothing but pop culture references, mostly revolving around video oh, games. Oh, I avoided, I watched Scott Pilgrim. I avoided Ready Player One. And from what the views are, Ready Player Two is fucking worse. 
getting ready for your walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I was actually at the bookstore uh, yesterday, and I just picked up a copy of Ready Player Two and just flipped to a random page and read and read it, and then just set it back down. And I was like, Oh yeah, even worse than Ready Player One. Can confirm. Yep. <laughs> well, then we I have that proof, which was okay. Or is its real title Thunderbolt? <laughs> yeah, Thunderbolt. That's one of my favorite things about that movie. Uh, and as we'll get into it, um, because I believe that Death Proof feels more like a drive-in movie, which is what we're going to talk about oh, tonight. Oh, it definitely is a drive-in movie, which explains why there's no fucking action for the first 40 minutes. Because <laughs> it right? was an opening film for the first 40 minutes. They want the people to come in, uh, get the food, diddle the girlfriend, you know. Yep, yep. Diddle the girlfriends and all that. And by the time 40 minutes is up, your business is taken care of and you're ready to watch the movie. Remember, I was with <laughs> Roger Corman's rules. I really want the action to start and go nonstop from 40 minutes on. Imagine trying to put that in a grindhouse, a movie that takes 40 minutes to kick in the gear. Yeah, I know. I do think that's weird. Uh, You know, like you said, Planet Terror definitely feels more like a 40-second street grindhouse film. Uh, Whereas, I mean, it's not even subtly hinted at there's a scene in death proof when uh they drive uh kurt russell drives his car through a drive-in movie sign i mean (laughs) you know i mean it's 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 not even like hinted at it's it's they're telling you straight up this is a drive-in movie you know yeah Um, once the 40 minute mark hit on death proof then it hits its drive the yeah. uh, stuntman might starting to kill people. Yeah. But those first forty minutes. Yeah. You would think that honestly, Tarantino could. Well, hell, look at his next film. I mean, two films down from that proof, he did a whole movie of people sitting in a cabin and talking, and it fucking worked. <laughs> Right? Yeah. I think the... I One thing that annoyed me about Death Proof and the reason why I think it's his weakest film is because, you know, you're right. You spend so much time at the top of the movie investing in these characters and even by Tarantino standards, it's a lot of talking. I mean, nothing really happens in the first, like you said, half hour, 40 minutes. Nothing really happens. It's just a lot of people standing around talking and, you know, and then all those characters that you just met, spoiler alert for a movie that's 10 years old, but they all die. And 
And then there's one that there's that one action scene where they all die, and then you got to spend another 20 minutes getting to meet a bunch of new characters before the action really kicks in. And yeah, that car chase at the end is amazing, and it does take up the last 40 yeah. minutes of if the film. Wanna, yeah, it's on my top 10 car chase list for sure. For sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing car chase scene. It goes on, like you said, for like the last 30 to 40 minutes of the film. And knowing that it was an actual car chase, no CGI, no, no, no stunt doubles. It was an actual car chase that they filmed. And, uh, of course, you can't do a great car chase with a crazy-ass Aussie or New Zealander hanging on to the hood <laughs> of your car. <laughs> right? Zoe Bell, oh. Zoe Bell and Kurt Russell steal that movie. Yeah. More Zoe yeah. Bell. <laughs> Zoe Bell was a was a find though. Like that's that's she's one of those unique, you know, only in only in Tarantino's world, you know, like what what movie must he have watched? that he saw Zoe Bell was the stunt double for somebody. And he was like, I'm going to get her to come to America and I'm going to strap her to the hood of a car. <laughs> Kill Bill. Yeah. Well, I know he, no, but seriously, what movie that's he... where he met her. Oh, really? He didn't, he didn't know of her yeah. work before that. No. She was the only one stunt woman tall enough to fill Uma Thurman's body. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. They have the same body type. Yeah. I knew that she was the stunt double on Kill Bill, but I, I figured, you know, just knowing Tarantino, I figured that I don't know, maybe he saw her feet on some fetish website or something and decided he had to meet her. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a that 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 was Death Proof that opening credit scene to Death Proof is the ultimate foot fetish scene for Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, right. There's nothing yeah. but women's feet for the first you know like a women's feet. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, and what I love is that Kurt Russell is a badass until he gets hurt. Right. And then all of a sudden, Mommy, 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 oh, Mommy, please help me, Mommy. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love how the worm turns and they just kill the shit out of them. Yeah. Yeah, the... Oh, and uh, Death Proof, its place in the Tarantino universe is for Kill Bill and, uh, well, the end of... And it's the... Second part of the Earl McGraw trilogy. Right, right. 
Yeah. The 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 Earl McGraw character is a hard one to trace because his character jumps back and forth between Tarantino and Rodriguez films. Uh yeah. Because because he does he does die. He does die in um, uh, Planet Terror, right? That's the that's nope, the from last Dusk Dawn. Oh, from no, Dusk Till Dawn. That's right. Yeah. 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 He dies in From Dusk Till Dawn, but he is in and Planet, Planet Terror. Terror takes place before Death Proof because on the radio, while she's dialing away, the radio says. We would like to send our condolences to the family of our Uncle Julia. Right. Huh. Yeah, that's that's a weird one. It's it's like the same thing with uh, Four Rooms and Pulp Fiction, um, because I, it's not. It's not Tarantino's story. I can't remember which story it is, but, uh, you know, uh, producer on Tarantino's movies, and I feel like an ass for Mm -hmm. not remembering his name because not only do I love Tarantino, but I went to the same college with this dude. Um, (laughs) uh, Who is? Yeah, Bender. There you go. Yeah. Uh, he plays long-haired yuppie dude in a bunch of Tarantino movies. I don't think he ever dies, though, but uh, he's the long-haired yuppie dude in the diner scene at the end of Pulp Fiction, and he's also the long-haired yuppie dude who pukes out of a window on New Year's Eve and almost hits Tim Roth in the face with his vomit in one of the shorts that's in Four Rooms. I can't remember which one it is, though. Um, But, yeah. But, again, it's one of those weird, like, uh, like I said, it's it's not Tarantino's short. But, yeah, uh, what we're going to talk about tonight, Drive-In, because, like I said, uh, well, until he was about 12, good old Tarantino was in here, Knoxville, Tennessee. And, yeah, we could pretty much see everything. We had the Black Theater. We had the Art Theater. We had the Grindhouse-type theater, which is basically the same as the Black one. But, yeah, we had the Cinema 6, which would show, like, the stuff like Maniac and stuff like that. The Twin Air Drive-In, where I would see the drive-in stuff. The Alcoa, which I never did go to, which was, the porn drive-in. <laughs> Damn. The best way to describe it, look, is you know that place in Mad Max, how the oil refinery looked with the pen and all that? <laughs> all right. They had the wall built like that so that people couldn't see the drive-in through the road. Right. Well, the connection between Grindhouse and Drive-In, as in the genre, would be the roadshow pick. Take it back yeah. and mom and pop and the uh, whole birth of a baby. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? And you and I have talked about this before. Uh, I don't think we've talked about it on the show, but you and I have talked yeah. about uh, roadshow movies before, and we were talking about it a little bit earlier this evening before we went on the air about how, yeah, yeah this was this this was definitely the era of word of mouth where pictures you actually had to mail or can, film canisters had to travel from town to town to get and yeah hence the hence the name roadshow i mean they didn't they they called them that because they literally had to take them on the road and show them to people and yeah, yeah. And a lot of them were quote unquote educational films, but uh, as John Waters has famously uh, described, a lot of a lot of men went to see these because it was your only, like you said, if they were like help films about childbirth, or I mean, even if they were help scare films about uh, aerial diseases it was one of the only ways that you could see a vagina on the screen. <laughs> yeah. And plus they would yeah. sell books in the lobby, which was right. the anatomy of a man, the anatomy of a woman. So you came right. your gay and your straight audience. <laughs> yeah. That, all of that, is very disturbing to me. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a man who's almost fifty years old, and you know, my wife and I have a have a very nice sex life, and I do still enjoy looking at porn from time to time. But yeah, thinking about it in that regard. Like, how desperate do you have to be? I mean, I don't under—I don't know, because I didn't live back then. I don't know how... It's like, that's the only way you would get to see that stuff back then. If you were in a small backwoods town. Right, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that, that must have been... I mean... We take it for granted now because not only did we grow up in a time where, you know, pornographic films and magazines were readily available, but, I mean, now, I mean, for all you know, I could be looking at porn on my computer right now while we're talking. I I don't, you know, I mean, it's it's not like it's hard to come by now, but, but yeah, back then, that was it. Go, like, like I said, John Waters said guys would go to the the drive-in or the grindhouse theaters and watch a movie about a baby being born just so they could see a vagina on screen. Like, that's... <laughs> well, the women would see them to see a penis. Because what right. they would do is they would have a woman showing and a man showing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was going to bring this up last week. I because 
uh, I can't remember when we were talking about 42nd street last week, I was going to bring that up about, uh, Oh, what was mom and dad? That's a movie you and I have talked about in the past, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about right now. Mom and dad. And that's one that the they used to do. The first one to have the franchise was Kroger Bad, and then he would sell it out, and he would have one of the guys who would rent the franchise loan go around as a Dr. L.U. Carver, or I forget what the last name is, but it was like Dr. Elliot, and they would come in and give you a, a lecture on that and sell the book. And right. Do you remember who bought the franchise from him? No. Who was the guy that was with uh, H.G. Lewis? The only other person I Dave can think Frazier. of that went in. Ah, right. Yeah, David Freeman. That's what I was going to say. The only other person I could think of that did road shows like that was Friedman. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and that he was another he was another big one with uh it he he was another big one that was involved with something weird video. I think they acquired most of his films over the course of the the time that they were in business. Yeah, and, uh, that's really how the legitimately. What happened was that. Uh, Barney was selling uh, Friedman movies, and Friedman called him up. He's like, "Hey, are you uh, Mike Barney? Uh, maybe. You have <laughs> the adventure, the erotic adventures of Robin Hood. Why? Oh, I need a copy." I'd like to buy a copy from you because I don't have a copy of my own movie and I need a copy of it so I can sell it for German sales. Oh, I'll just <laughs> do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. I, I, did, I did something. I did the reverse of that. Uh, I had this old copy of Cemetery Dance that had a story by Joe R. Lansdale in it. And uh-huh. uh, Abby and I went to a screening here in town uh, a couple years ago. Uh, Joe Lansdale had sold the rights to one of his stories to a local filmmaker, and uh, the so so the director hosted the uh, the premiere here in town. And Joe Lansdale was there, uh, and so we we got to hang out with him and uh, have some beers and watch the movie and everything. And uh, I'm not really a big guy for, like, autographs and stuff like that, but Joe R. Lansdale is one of my favorite horror writers, and I did have a copy of The Drive-In, The Drive-In, uh, apropos. And I did want him to sign it for me. So I went up afterwards uh, to the table where he was signing stuff and I had him sign the book. But then I gave him the copy of the magazine that I had that had his story in it because 
I know exactly like what you're saying about David Friedman. Sometimes even, you know, when you've been famous for a, a long time, you know, you're not, for some reason, you're not compensated with copies of the things that you, that you do. Uh, I know sometimes, sometimes it's different for writers. Like sometimes they will send you like a bunch of copies of your book so you can give them out to friends and family and whatever. But when you're talking about things like that, like magazines or copies of films and especially David Friedman uh, working back when he did goes back to what we were talking about before when you actually had to ship uh, film canisters around. You're not going to end up with a copy of your movie, you know, so. I think Waters paid like a hundred bucks each for copies of uh, uh, Man and Woman and Woman and Man, the book that went with Mom and Dad. Right. Huh. And he got a deal on the books. Yeah. Uh, like I, I wonder. A copy of the uh, original copy of Colony Blood Red, and they were selling it for three hundred bucks. Right. You wanted your film promoted. That's why the tie-in novels were being made then, but not nowadays. Nowadays, if you want a tie-in novel in the supermarkets and stuff, you would get like maybe weeks of promotion before the movie came out. Right. I don't I don't see many tie-in novels anymore. I mean, the last one, I don't know, the last tie-in novel that I found in the wild, I got at a thrift store and I sent it to you. I can't remember what it was now, but they went that way and that Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the gym that Michael Aikman was in before is uh, the complete original 70s Planet of the Eight series. Uh, right. Stardog. Yeah. The one I sent to you was, was one from the... 70s, or I think like Jaws 3 or something, but you don't no, see them as much. That way that way. Oh. But yeah, you don't see it's those as much like, now. No. Now it don't, don't, people don't, do people at the bookstore that still use them the most. And there's so many that I wish I would have gotten back then that are worth well, nowadays, or that I was, like, uh, one that killed me that I have that I lost uh, is uh, the original paperback copy of John Carp Howling 3, the 13th Part 3, The Wicker Man, First Friend. Yeah, I don't have any, any more... I I've pretty much given all mine away, but I don't really I don't see them 
anymore, though. That's the thing. I mean, I can find I can find some at like the, a thrift store or a used bookstore. Yeah, uh, but, you find them at yeah. a bookstore. That's it. Yeah. Nowadays, when a new movie comes out, rather than doing a movie tie-in novel where it's basically just the movie transcribed into a novel, which is what you and I are talking about, nowadays, they'll just take the same characters and write a whole new story, you know, saying, all right, well, if you're going to see the movie... Then, well, here's a novel that expands upon the movie. It's not the same story that you're going to see if you go to the movie theater, you know. Um, it's 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 actually pretty brilliant, pure exploitation when it comes down to it. I mean, you're yeah. just making more money off the same title by releasing it, you know. Uh, I mean, I guess technically what we're talking about was pure exploitation, too. You're going to go, like you said, oh, you're going to go see Halloween? Well, here, buy the novel, read it, and then go see the movie. Or after you see the movie, come buy the novel. It's the exact same story, but you're getting it in two forms. Well, but was, if you see the novel of Halloween, not nah, you're like covering with the interest. You know, we're going you know. Right, right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, I was either way. the original set of the H.U.S. Blood Trilogy film, Figure Out. And, well, in those kind yeah. of movies, those books are. What I have is a uh, reptilian. Yeah. And not only did they adapt the crappy monster movie, but they had porn to it. So you're getting this <laughs> bizarre scene where the guy's uh only a submarine missile at a killer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You 
know, like yeah, they, a, a specific sweater. They would have a plant in the audience of a woman dressed looking exactly like the woman in the movie. And that they would have the monitors called when it turned black. And grab the woman and then you would see her dragged on the screen. Yeah. The uh the the something weird video D V D I don't know if, if, if that's the version of it that you have, but the Something Weird Video D V D actually has an instruction book inside that tells you how you can reenact uh the the movie at a party at your house. And that's one of the things they talk about, you know. Having somebody in the and audience. And it has 3D glasses because yeah. it had in silence yeah. and saying in it. And what in silence yeah. and saying was is that you would say saying in 3D and you would show <laughs> whatever movie you have. And then all of a sudden you would have this Europe up real. I'll get into what the real best of it might be. And you would go in there and it'd be like, you would get to see the silence and thing, which is basically yo yo coming at the screen and uh, swings and stuff like that. It was it was early. It was the early days of 3D. Uh, you know, I was thinking about yeah, this the other day. You, me- you you mentioned Halloween three earlier. Old old films that were in 3D. It's kind of funny the stuff. I think Halloween. No, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Halloween Three was not in 3D. Yeah. Friday the Thirteenth. Friday the Thirteenth Part Three has stuff like yo-yos coming at your face and stuff like that early on in the movie. Uh, it, it's funny to think about the ways that they explored. 3D movies back then, uh, you know, yeah. they were just trying to think of anything they could, anything they could shoot at your face to. <laughs> yeah. In the theater, the Thirteenth Part Three is one of the best, if not the best. The my favorite wow. in Friday the my favorite in Friday the Thirteenth Part Three is the uh, spear gun. Yeah. But Jaws, but yeah, I remember. Jaws. I remember Jaws with Jaws three. I remember the most terrifying part of going to the theater and seeing Jaws three in three D. Uh, for some reason, there's a scene where the submarine comes out of the screen and then takes a left-hand turn, goes across the screen, and then goes back into the screen. And for some reason, that terrified the shit out of me when I was a kid. Uh, I think it's just because the rest of the screen is just dark ocean behind, and then, you know, next to, and then in front of the submarine. But for people, women getting scared and y'all 3D when that broad jump on the screen and people 
people laugh. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, just little gimmicks like that, you know, Maurice. But, <laughs> yeah, being a woman's head actually gets cut off. And it was easy on calling a woman and have magic Right. Yeah. And the spook shows. Right. Yeah. And that goes back to uh, we've talked about that before on the show too. Uh, not just about spook shows, but about like oh, no, William Castle style. Oh, William yeah. Castle was the king of the gimmick. We can't talk about that. Like uh, how from Hunter Hill would have like a skeleton fly over the audience. Right. But where that was yeah. wrong is that once the kids, assholes like us, boys, would realize that there was Hunger, if 
most of the knowledge that I have about William Castle's gimmickry, uh, I've read in books, and the only go-to touchstone that I have for what it might have been like is the Joe Dante movie matinee, which seemed to indicate that they... (laughs) Yeah. Joe... Joe Dante's matinee seemed to indicate that the whole theater was uh, was wired, but but it it is a good example of what we're talking about with the yeah. spook show uh, uh, because well, they do that. souvenir
Yeah. And do you think right. the people that were shot in the movie would give a shit? No.
Right. Yeah. That's the only place they gave up the book. And people yeah. look at me weird because when the movie started at the birth of Mel Mike, right. and the tear went down my face. And people look at me like, why does this motherfucker cry in war? <laughs> this is how movies are supposed to look. Yeah. Because they released the yeah. Tokyo version in a non 30 millimeter, you know, non panorama version. Right. Yeah. We see now this. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say the city that we live in is a pretty big city, but there's only. There are only two movie theaters around here that show art films, and there's only one theater that can actually show film film. You know, all the other, there's a lot of movie theaters around here, but most of them just show the whatever, you know, digital copies of the new Avengers movie or whatever. Um, There are, but there are two like art house, you know, there are two like art house cinemas around here, but even of the two art house cinemas, only one of them can actually still show film, you know, like actual film. Well, the one the other that places, I've seen that, there was only one screen in town that was showing the road show, super deluxe, 30mm, all the bells and whistles, you got the book version. Right. That version only came out in, I think, maybe 30 or 40 gigs. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Even if you did go there, there's some other fuckers this is the movie that would take the books from the theater and say, Oh, it's sold out and then they would resell them on eBay. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't I have an issue with that. Uh it just everything in general nowadays, uh you know, I'm a collector. I I have a everything I have, I have a huge collection of whether it's action figures, books, comic books, magazines, VHS tapes, Blu-rays, video discs, you know, blah blah blah. I collect a ton of shit, but I get so irritated when there's something like that that would actually be a perfect fit for my collection. Uh, And it, you know, like those websites that make custom action figures and they only make like 500 of them and they're going to go on sale at this particular date, this particular time. And if you don't have your credit card information and your mailing address and everything all loaded up, just ready to hit enter the minute that they go on sale, 
there's some douchebag who's already put his order in for all 500 of them, and it's like a friggin' showdown yeah. in an old Western, you know? He's going to hit enter before they, you. And what and, they do is they would use, like, two different, they would use, like, their work address, their home address, they would use their wife's address, or they would use a box, yeah. the post office box. And then uh, five hundred each of each complete set, and they were like three hundred a pop for each of the things. Right. And then, but they would, the asshole, yeah. the asshole who buys all of them puts them right back on. Yeah, they go right back on to eBay within a day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've got. Like I said, I've got the complete simple box set, and then the Sheriff of John Blue, and the Samuel Jackson series. Yeah. I forget which one I actually have. Let me see. <laughs> COVID! COVID! I heard it. (laughs) (laughs) COVID cough. I heard it. I heard it. Yeah, it says the the original 70 millimeter. Yeah. And the size of vinyl album insert. Yeah. Okay, here's the ones they had. Uh, Samuel Jackson, the Mar- Marquise Warren, John Roof, Joe Gage, uh, Bob the Mexican, Oswaldo Moray, Sandy Smithers, Sheriff Chris Mannix, and Daisy Domergue. Let's see. I got Daisy Domergue. There you go. So yeah, they just gave like those. Out. They just gave them out randomly. Yeah, if you went to the to, seventy millimeter, it cost you yeah. twenty bucks just to get into the damn thing. Yeah. But each of them would have. Okay, here we go. Here's where the seventy millimeter was shown: uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Atlanta, Georgia, Austin, Texas, Baltimore, Maryland, Birmingham, Alabama. Buxton, Massachusetts, Charlotte, da da da. Uh, they didn't show. They didn't show it in Maine. No, they didn't show the. No, they didn't show the uh, seventy millimeter version on film. But they showed it. They showed the roadshow version at the at the theater. It wasn't on it wasn't on film, but they just showed that version of the film uh a digital yeah, that version. Came of out it. in January. I seen it in December. Yeah. It was one of my Christmas gifts to myself. As soon as I got <laughs> any of my Christmas money, I'm like, I'm going. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't no, they didn't show it on, on film. Uh they but they did show it in the 
it, at one of the art theaters up here, they showed that the roadshow version, but it wasn't the 70 millimeter film version. It was just a digital version. But, you know, it started, like I said, it started off with the orchestra and it had the intermission and everything. Yeah, the, uh, uh, yeah. the prima nocta. Yes. It was and that version had, of the film. Nicholas uh, made that. That version, the roadshow version, is the better edit of the film than the regular theatrical. Yeah, I mean, I think you and I have talked about this before as well. Netflix has what they they kind of advertise it as the hateful eight, like kind of a TV show because it's four separate episodes, but it's yeah, it's four pretty. fucking hours, man. There's nothing, yeah, there's four hours. Yeah. each episode is fifty-five minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I I don't know. I actually like I I I just like the original version. I mean, it's the same thing, like say you're watching Stanley Kubrick's 2001. You've seen the version of 2001 that has the the long opening overture and it has the um it has the intermission before uh Dave goes yeah, down the, the MVHS tape. I don't know if it's on DVD, but I know it was on the MVHS tape. Right. Yeah. I but mean. Yeah, that was just another gimmick to make it seem bigger. You know. Exactly. I think. Like, my, people I, forget. I, Go ahead. No, say what you're saying. That Fantasia was originally a gimmick film, but I'll get into that. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, just winding up our conversation about The Hateful Eight, I was just going to say, I think the original theatrical release was my favorite of, of that. Uh, I, the road, the only reason I was interested in the Roadshow version is because I was hoping I was going to get one of those cool booklets. And uh, since you have one and uh, Christmas is coming up, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe <laughs> Maybe you got a Christmas present for me. I don't, I don't know. You can pick them up. I think they're still going for like eight or nine bucks on eBay. I don't know. <laughs> nine dollars, Stephen? What am I made of money? <laughs> well, you wouldn't get the full set. A full set runs for around 40 bucks. <laughs> 40 bucks, Stephen? What am I made of money? Yep. <laughs> well, but, my wife, yeah. my wife, my wife, my wife is a doctor, so I guess I could probably afford it if I really wanted. Yeah, but in seriousness, seventy millimeter version. Like, if you don't see the roadshow version in seventy millimeter, you're losing one of the major points of it. Yeah. So how cramped did the roadshow print look? Looking at it, 
watching it on a smaller 35 millimeter screen, you know. Right. Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. But, yeah. Trying to think of the movie. Go ahead. Oh, no. Go ahead. I was just thinking out loud. I was just thinking out loud. I'm trying to remember. Abby and I watched a movie the other night on Netflix. That was uh, definitely originally filmed in 70 millimeter. And I mean, we have a pretty big TV, but you could yeah. totally see that it was, you know, squanched, squished, I heart. squished, squanched. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I can't remember what it was, but yeah, um, that is one of the sad things about especially like, you know, like modern TVs, you know, like we have a really nice TV. It's really big. It's a flat screen, but yeah, like any time that we watch an old movie that was filmed in 70 millimeter, uh, we have to adjust the settings on the TV. A lot of times you have to cut it down to like four, two, to even be able to see it so that everything doesn't look distorted and weird, you know? And that kind of thing. Die Hard was uh, 70 millimeter. Uh, Yeah. The motion pictures, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Right. Hmm. I have never oh. seen a version of Die Hard on home video in its proper theatrical aspect and proper. Uh, if you want to see Die Hard, well, you can peek for the wall on DVD, right? Yeah, yep. You know how your ass to the back of the room? That kind of stereo that Die Hard is supposed to be. When I sit in theaters, it blew my ass to the back of the theater. And every <laughs> of the trailers that you remember, this film will blow you to the back of the theater. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can remember I was used to VHS the first time I watched Pink Floyd the Wall on DVD in its proper audio aspect. I was like, Thing, 15 minutes for the first song really kicks in. Right. You know. So you like, uh, I turn my sound system up. Oh, this is not what I expect you. So, when we started tonight's show off, yeah. we, 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 we wanted to talk about the drive-in, and yeah, we meandered, as we often do. that for and, now, because we're already knee-deep into exploitation and the gimmick. Right. The weirdest gimmick that I've ever seen, and it's the one where people... 
Businesser John Waters saying, really know about it. And he's done it the only way that it works is odorama. Yeah. There is a book yep. called The Smell of Fear. Just imagine you work, you're in a theater watching a movie, and they have like these Walmart for any store, the smell there. Where it was like, we're going to release this odor. Right. Imagine watching well, the whole movie like that with like cigars and stuff. And the thing of all the smell of mixing by the church. and sniffing the same sticker at the same time with no place for the odors to go. And being a John Waters movie, the the odors being specifically, uh, yeah, uh, noxious. Yeah. (laughs) John Waters, you've heard the story where he talks about watching uh, the... It was a crown, and then number two comes up on screen to scratch, and then they hear this on the screen. <laughs> no, you're going to smell shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, Oklahoma no. was self-gaming until they got the car. The car is the only way to do it because, like I said, there's no way to do that. And if the machine broke down, you would get a weird smell at the wrong time. So that needs to be Yeah. But, I mean, doing it by machine would have been a neat idea, and it would have gone along with the William Castle, uh, you know, uh, gimmicks. And I know you and I both know that John Waters was a big fan of uh, William Castle and uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Uh, He was a big fan of those uh, 1950s drive-in guys and grindhouse uh, gimmicks. Yeah, Uh, but uh, the cool thing about the scratch-off cards that he eventually came up with for Odorama is that kind of leans into the other, another aspect of that same era of filmmaking from the uh, William Castle, Herschel, Herschel Gordon Lewis. And we've talked about this before is the, the barf bags that they, they would give you at some movies. Yeah. That you know? was the uh, mark of the devil. People yeah. Violence. You cannot invent this thing without this barf bag. Yeah. You can still get them and, down there. I have seen uh, people sell it for like uh, like a fifty cents each. One of the coolest yeah. things I've got is you remember Freddy's dead 
when it came out, it was like the last 30 minutes of uh, of it. Yeah, right. And come back again and see House Party in deep cover. And then the second <laughs> one, which is come and see Hairspray, you know. Right. It was like, what film are we going to target with this? The only really bad thing about Freddy's Dead is that the 3D was blurry as hell. Even watching on the big screen, it was blurry. Yeah. I don't know. This goes back to one of the shows we did several weeks ago. For me... All we really need is uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm done. I don't need all the rest of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Although, yeah. although I will say, uh, and we're going to talk about this uh, before the end of the year, but some of our favorite films of 2020, uh, I really did enjoy that documentary about Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. That came out this year. Yeah. Uh, but we'll talk about that another on another show. When when we talk about our favorite films of 2020, I'll I'll dig into that. But yeah. But yeah. People don't realize that, and this is because Disney don't fuck, don't really deal with their movies they did back then. The animated films they wore out like a motherfucker, but their live <laughs> right. action films. They didn't, but there's a lot. They did a lot of roadshow stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But originally, Fantasia, like I said earlier, Fantasia was a gimmick film. What there was, what the original plan was, it was every year to reissue Asia, but take out one bit one year and then a new bit and then take out what didn't work, you know. Really, I never, I never realized that. I have, I have a copy of Fantasia, and I never knew that there yeah. were varying. I, I mean, the copy that I have no, is but like an was old because the movie flopped. That was the plan huh. for it. So it was like the producers they wanted to try to make a movie that flopped. Yeah, Walt Disney. <laughs> And the thing was, when one, why, when the 69 hit, on the Berkeley circuit, the underground circuit, they would show Fantasia in the last 20 minutes of uh, 2001, and they called it the Stoner's Musical Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> they would say, right. get stoned on me to go watch the last 20 minutes of 2001 and Fantasia. So they'd, so they'd start from the intermission we were talking about earlier. You're saying they'd start from the intermission where Dave goes down the rabbit hole and becomes the star baby, and then they would just phase that right over into Fantasia? Right. <laughs> That's cruel. 
Well, until Sam Cooper got very pissed off about it and got on the toilet real quick. But let's be honest. <laughs> is there any other way to watch that last bit, the whole start tie on the sequence, and All not right. be stoned off your course? We were talking about 42nd Street last week, and, yeah, uh, I'm sure, you know, you know, we we didn't dig too deep into it, but we did talk about the fact that a lot of the uh, the people who hung out on 42nd Street were getting high in the theaters and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure yeah, 2001, I'm sure 2001 was definitely a big uh, a big stoner movie back then. I mean, oh God, I've yeah. never, but I've, I've never seen it. Yeah, there's uh, two turns for weed. You're like, what the fuck is this shit? What the shit? Cobra can do that one. And then there's go with it, man. And that's what Walt Disney did with Fantasia. We're like, what? People are loving Fantasia. Good. But they get so much weed. But they love the film? Yes. Go with it, man. And... <laughs> all right, let me tell you a funny story about Fantasia. All right, uh-huh. I got a good one. This, this is a good one. All right, so I had, I have a friend, uh, and back, back when I was in college, this guy used to used to go to auctions all the time, buy up lots of uh, VHS tapes, right? So he comes to my house one day and he's like, hey man, I went through the VHS tapes that I got at the the, uh, auction the other day and these are all the ones I don't want. You can have them. I was like, cool, man. So I'm looking through them, and it was a bunch of stuff like Jaws and Star Wars, you know, a bunch, just a bunch of, you know, type of stuff that you'd expect to find at at a flea market or a, you know, auction back in the uh, mid '90s, you know. Um, yeah. But I'm looking, th- I'm looking through, and there's one videotape in there. And it's a German scat film. For those listeners at home, <laughs> for those listeners at home who don't know what that is, it's a poop porno. Poop porno. Okay. So, a cup use the German word because it just sounds better with that word for something in fourth German. Scheiße. Scheiße. Yeah. So. Uh, that weekend, I go over to a friend's house to buy some weed, right? This guy that I know, he sells weed. He lives right around the corner from my house. He was my weed dealer at the time. So I go over, and he's there with one other friend, and they are tripping balls on mushrooms, right? They're just tripping their asses off on mushrooms. So I buy some weed so from right him. Right now, wait, you was at a moral dilemma right now. You're like, 
it could buy my weed, or it could go home, or I could show them shiny I did. I did one better, Stephen. I did one better. I bought the weed, and the guy who was my dealer said, "Hey, man, you got a lot of movies at your place. Can you bring us a movie to watch while we're tripping, so we can get through this trip?" And I'm like, "I'll be right back, man." I went to my house. I got the Shiza video. I put it in. I took I took the label off of it, so it was just a blank, just looked like a blank video cassette. I put it into the Fantasia clamshell. Took it back to their house. And I was like, I was like, Fantasia man, this will pull you through. It's a, it's just a fun. I mean, it's a fun, you know. I mean, you can see what I'm saying. Fantasia would be a fun movie to trip to, right? So I thought, oh, yeah, these guys are going to love this. I'm like, Fantasia, right? So I gave them the Fantasia case with the shit video in it, and I bolted. And <laughs> and that was, that was the last time I saw those guys for a long time because they moved out of that apartment shortly thereafter. But I did hear a funny story that when one of my friends went to help them move out, uh, the Fantasia case was there with the shit video still in it. And he was like, oh, you want to take this with you? And the guys that lived there were like, no, no, nope. Uh, She would let us come in after hours 
and smoke pot and drink beer in the theater. But obviously that wasn't anything you could do when the movie theater was actually open at that point in my life. Yeah. I mean. Well, and another thing is that many a times the studio, the guys who would make the real form would not give a fuck. And you had to make sure the real one had the shit that supposedly was real one. (laughs) Right? Uh, 
Yeah. But then uh, Pink Flamingos was a was a, was the next big midnight movie. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I think those were the first two that I really remember from when I was growing up. Yeah, what about you? Uh, Harold and Vaughn, of course, Rock Your Picture Show. Oh, yeah. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Rocky Horror Picture Show is still a pretty big uh, midnight movie around here. Um, Well, I mean, it was before the pandemic, obviously, but uh, that's still a big one. Like I said, we have a lot of movie theaters around here, but there are only two theaters. There are second run theaters or artsy theaters. We've only got a couple of those, but yeah, Rocky Horror still plays around here a lot, and I'm going to go on record. I'm talking about when I was a kid. It was, uh, let's see, Maniac, Pink Boy the Wall, uh, a cool double feature, which I thought was done back then, but that's the one I banged my head against the wall for missing seeing in the big screen the most. Is that it? Right. Now, uh, I will go on record, though, right now, on our show, I'm going to say, unpopular opinion, I fucking hate the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I hate that movie. No love. No love. Well, let's be honest. People didn't know the Rocky Horror Picture Show for the movie. Anyone who says, oh, every time I went there, I would never watch the movie. They're fucking liars. They went there. <laughs> it was a party atmosphere. They went there to the movie. Rocky Horror Picture Show is an amazing experience. That the movie has a small part to do with. Right. But now the the thing is another popular midnight movie that has garnered a lot of the same type of fandom as Rocky Horror Picture Show is The Room. Uh you know, the Tommy Wiseau movie, and people go to screenings of the room dressed up, and they participate just like Rocky Horror, but I actually enjoy the room. (laughs) I mean, it's a a horrible movie, but I actually enjoy it. Like, it's fun for me to watch. Uh, It makes me laugh constantly and consistently whereas Rocky Horror just is just a dud for me. I I I don't it gives me none of the feels, Stephen. It gives me none of the feels. Brian DePaul's film, which is 
Yeah, I lost you for a second. Are you there? Yeah, Phantom of the Paradise. That one. Oh yeah, Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. I hope.
we traffic in this kind of stuff. And yeah, Phantom of the Paradise is one of those movies that is so ridiculously over the top that uh, if you don't enjoy it, then you probably shouldn't be listening to our podcast because yeah, it's like I said, exactly the kind of thing that we traffic in. It's over the top. Uh, It's hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hilarious. It's bad. It's gory. It's good. In equal, in equal uh, amounts. (laughs) Yeah. But it is, 
even you have to admit it's kind of corny at times. I mean, it was the 70s. Yeah, it's like that way on purpose. It's like most people don't get that the song is basically once you hear Thousand by Winslow Lee, every, almost every song is that same song rewritten for a different song. Yeah. Like uh, Carburetor is a song the world loves now. <laughs> and then you get carburetor. You know, I was right. on myself last night. My car's jammed out. My engine blew. You know, <laughs> that's what right. shows the movie is how every rock cannibalizes itself, and it's true. Probably, it's probably the closest that Brian De Palma ever came to making, like, uh, a socially aware comedy film. And it's not 100% comedy. Um, it's kind of a fantasy film. In some ways, it reminds me of uh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Um, not that they're the same, whereas, whereas Brazil takes place in a dystopian society, uh, Phantom of the Paradise does take place in the modern world, but it has that same kind yeah, of crossover, like like dark, dark comedy, drama, fantasy, kind of all wrapped up into one, I think. Yeah, and it's a mix of uh, the picture of Dorian Gray and Brown. Yeah. But yeah, once you do the midnight movies, you have the legit and then you have ones that were made for the hippie audiences of the stoner crowd. Right, right, yeah. Well, even now, I mean, like I said, we have a couple of art, we have a couple of theaters around here that still specialize in, like, second-run movies and art films, and yeah. yeah, you can't smoke or drink. Well, you can drink in the theaters now. Most theaters around here sell alcohol, so you can drink in the theaters, but you can't, yeah. like, smoke weed or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so there's still... Is, what the line get those theaters where you can drink beer, you know, Where you could just be rowdy as fun. Then it became a cold classic. Yeah. And in straight theater, it didn't play that way. Well, that's what we were talking about last week when we were talking yeah, about 42nd Street. <laughs> yeah, we're bringing it back full circle. You know, Grindhouse is a movie made for specific audiences, specific conditions. Didn't exist anymore in 2005 when the movie or six when it came out. Those conditions didn't exist anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. House would be if it would have came out with the Alamo Grass House theaters. Well, it probably 
guys out there, you could order booze and beers and the place like that. We had a place like that, not called the Terrence Tap House. It doesn't exist right. anymore, but you could go there and watch a movie, order a meal, and drink a lot of beer. Yeah, we only have. Oh, I was gonna say we only have one like that here. Uh, There are two movie theaters around here where you can order beer, but there's only one where you can get like pizza and fries and burgers and stuff like that. Uh, Yeah, you know, yeah, the drive-in theaters, of course, you can still get that stuff, but. Yeah, but the Central Cinema, when they show, when they, they usually show Jaws once a year on Memorial Day. Yeah. And they have a special beer made for them called uh, Quint, Bad, Quint Shark Honey Brew. And it uses hmm. the logo on the beer can of uh, the Quint, you know.
Open the circuit. All the ship's energy is now in the wave motion gun. I doubt anyone here would recognize civic virtue if it reached up and bit you in the ass. Did I hurt your feelings? Blue Magneto's right. There's a war coming. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. You sure you're on the right side? Hasta la vista, baby. And now for a bonus. Is it only in my mind Or is it someone calling me Someone I failed and left behind To work it out I let them in All the good guys and the bad guys that I've been All the devils that disturbed me And the angels that defeated them somehow Come together in me now
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.